0: Um, now, Warwick, uh, you haven't been around for the last couple of months. We've been promoting guys uh, from SMAC and across the cathedral to come to SMACO, Yep. That is really important. Can you just share your opinion? Why do you think we have made the best decision this weekend by coming on this camp?
1: Because there's no better way to spend a public holiday uh, than getting into the Word of God. There is nothing better than a bunch of Christians taking time out from the washing up and cooking meals and ironing and going to work and all of the things that take up so much of our life, just putting those to one side for three days and spending three days in the Word of God together. It's great reading your Bible at home by yourself. It's good getting to church on the weekend. But three days... It's like putting your faith in the microwave for three days. We will grow so much more. It's on high, by the way. uh, We'll go so much more in the next three days than you will probably at any other period in in a year. So expect to grow. Expect to dive into the Word of God. Expect to work hard. But also expect to see God transform you, teach you and shape you in probably greater ways than you would normally experience week to week, day to day. Or one one final question. Yep. Uh, given you've just
0: given us a great explanation of why it's so important that we came to get away together these three days, what are the uh, what are the would you say would be the top three things that we can do to get the most out of our time on Smago together?
1: Uh, firstly, don't believe anything that I say <laughs> unless you can find it in the scriptures. So get the most out of what you learn. Keep weighing everything that you hear against the Bible. Keep weighing everything you've always thought about the things that you hear against the Bible. So keep weighing up against everything against scripture. Secondly, keep talking to others about what you hear. Ask them about what they're learning. Ask them the questions that you've got and keep your Bibles open as you keep talking it through. Because as we speak to others about our questions and the things that we're learning, as we put into our own words the things that we've heard, we actually begin to own them in a way that you can't do until you've expressed them. And thirdly, expect to make decisions today, tomorrow, and expect to make decisions about how you want to live your life differently because of what you've learned, and spend time in prayer asking God, to help you to put those decisions on the ground in your life.
0: Thank you My sending on to your teaching over the next uh, few days. And that's going to start very soon. I'm going to pray and then we're going to hear God's word uh, read to us and then Warwick is going to teach us from it. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that by it you make us wise for salvation. In our Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray that as we hear it read and taught to us now, you would graciously be at work by your Spirit in your people, growing us together more in our understanding, our appreciation of, and our desire to be more like Jesus. We ask these things for his name's sake. Amen. We'll now have our Bible reading.
2: We're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Just get myself uh, organised at this end. Yep, that's beautiful. Can I just put it further out in front of me? Is that okay? In your handout, you've got uh, page uh, six and seven. Uh, we'll give you the outline of where we're going this morning. Let me encourage you to take down uh, some notes, jot down questions as you go, and use that uh, as an opportunity uh, to reflect afterwards. Also, come and grab me over meals. I love talking to people about the Bible. Uh, just just hit the play button and it'll all come out. I love talking to people, so uh, come and pick my brains uh, and, uh, and let's use meal times and free time uh, really well with the Scriptures. Over the next three days, uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, I think, some of the most profoundly personal issues uh, that you ever face uh, as a person. We're going to understand what it is that makes a person spiritual, We're going to be thinking about what true spirituality actually is. We're going to be thinking about what sham spirituality actually is. We're going to be thinking about our identities, who we are, why we are who we are, where we fit with others. We're going to be thinking about what makes a person valuable. What is my value? Why am I value? How should I think about my contribution into the lives of others? We're going to be thinking about us. That is, who are we as a community together? And why is church life so good when it works well and so crushing and difficult when it doesn't? We're going to be doing some work. We're going to be doing some work on our own self-perception. We're going to be doing some work on how we function as a body. We're going to be uh, sorting ourselves out in lots of different ways. We're going to be thinking about how do we ought to consider ourselves in the light of those around about us. And, as I said earlier, we're going to be making some decisions. Because we are going to spend, as I've already said, the next three days in God's Word, and His Spirit is amongst us taking that Word and writing it into our hearts We've got to expect to be changed. If you're not here with the expectation that God will change you, let me encourage you to change that expectation from the beginning. We're going to be changed more into the image of our Saviour who died for us. How about I pray that as we begin to look at his word, he would do just that. Pray with me. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word this morning, we pray that you would indeed change us. Change us into the image of your Son. Change us so that we are more like him in everything that we do and say and think. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, right from the beginning of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, it is really clear that Paul is beginning a new section in his letter. But it's also clear that everything that he's about to say in the next three chapters isn't disengaged from what has already been said. In fact, I think the source of much of the heat that was generated in chapters 1 to 4 actually doesn't get resolved until we get here to chapters 12, 13 and 14. For in these chapters, the divisions, the favourites, the misunderstandings about ministry and about the spirit and about God God at work, they all reach their resolution here in these three chapters. And the starting point, as Paul tries to straighten the Corinthians out, as he as he wants them to think rightly about their gifts, the starting point is he gets them to think rightly about it, what it means to be spiritual, and he wants to make right at the outside the very clear point that being spiritual has nothing to do with gifts. Let me say it again: being spiritual has absolutely nothing. ...to do with the gifts that you and I have got. Let me show you what I mean. Let's think about spiritual people, matters or gifts. Have a look at verse 1 of the chapter. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And I could add at this point, Now concerning 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Our English Bibles have done a really good job of translating uh, from the original language, from the Greek, into English. But as you will all know better than I do, because the only language I can speak is Strine, which is Australian. (laughs) Uh, You guys can probably speak a myriad of different languages, and I apologise for the accent. Um, You know that whenever you translate from one language into another, you've got to make decisions, it's hard to put some things from this language into that language and sometimes things can be a little bit ambiguous and it's like that here in the Greek. Because in the original, the word gift is simply not there. And that changes the way we read the verse. It's not there in chapter 12, verse 1 and it's not there in chapter 14, verse 1 either. Our English word Bibles rather, have slotted in the word gift to try and make sense of a sentence that doesn't seem to make sense, it feels like there's a word missing. Chapter 12 actually reads, verse 1, now concerning the spirituals, brothers. And when you read that, you think the spiritual what? And our translators have looked at the rest of the chapter and gone, well, probably gifts. But the word gift can't be what slots in. In Greek, words can be, nouns can be either masculine, feminine or neuter. Is anything like that in Malay or Cantonese? No, okay. Not in English either. Sensible languages only have one. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Just thought I'd get that in. Uh, Gift is a feminine word. In the Greek, the word spirituals is either masculine or neuter. So gift cannot fit. It's got to be another word. And I want to suggest that people or things actually make a better grammatical choice and that if we consider the context, we'd be much better off inserting the word people rather than gifts. Let me show you what I mean. Because what Paul immediately goes on to do is he doesn't describe spiritual gifts at all. He goes on immediately to talk about spiritual people about what people who have the Spirit are like. What words you expect to hear on the lips of a person who has been given the Spirit. In fact, he doesn't go on to speak about spiritual gifts in this whole chapter. Did you hear what I just said? He doesn't go on to speak about spiritual gifts in this whole chapter. In fact, the term spiritual gift does not appear in the letter of 1 Corinthians. You'll find it nowhere in 1 Corinthians. In fact, if you read your whole Bible, you'll only find the term spiritual gift in one other place, or one place, and that is in Romans chapter 1 and verse 11. You see, Paul is writing to a group of people who are obsessed with gifts and are obsessed with the work of the Holy Spirit that obsession is dividing them. Their gifts are dividing them. They're competing with one another about who is the most spiritual. And I think that as Paul begins his opening salvo to to finally sort this issue out, I think that what he wants to do is ensure that people can see that people who are shaped by the Spirit, are given gifts. That people who are sh- saved by the Spirit are given gifts. He wants, us to help s- uh, he wants us to understand that gifts don't make us spiritual, it is the Spirit given to people who make us spiritual. It's because He is in us that we're spiritual. Being spiritual has nothing whatsoever to do with the gifts that we've been given. The problem is... The Corinthians just didn't believe him. And I have a sneaking suspicion that many Christians today just don't believe him either. Too often, you and I look at the gifted and we assume that they must be spiritual. We admire those who have spectacular gifts and honour them as more spiritual than the rest of us. And when we do, I think all we do is demonstrate how little we understand the spirit and his work in us. Have a quick look, though, before we go on at Romans chapter 1 and verse 11. Paul writes, Romans chapter 1, verse 11, back a couple of pages if you want to look it up. This is the only place that spiritual gift appears, and it doesn't seem to be connected in any way to what we're reading in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't think he's saying when I turn up I'm going to have something in my back pocket that somehow I'm going to give it to you and suddenly you'll have another gift. I think he's simply talking about coming and encouraging them in their faith. His spiritual gift to them is just his encouragement, the word of God that he'll bring, his encouragement to build them up in Christ come back to 1 Corinthians 12. He doesn't want the Corinthians to be ignorant or uninformed about spiritual people. That is he doesn't want them to be uninformed about what makes a person spiritual. So he reminds them about what they were like before they became spiritual. Look at verse 2. He says, "You know what you were, so you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led." And Ephesians makes it clear that those who aren't Christian are led by the Prince of the Power of the air. Ephesians two, doesn't it, tells us that the Spirit who was at work in us before Christ came was none other than Satan himself. He led us about, and we know what we were like in those days before we came to Christ. Therefore, verse three of one Corinthians twelve, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. You just cannot do it. And the opposite is true. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Again, the only way that it's possible to say Jesus is Lord is if the Spirit of the living God is at work within us. Can you see what Paul is saying? I want you to understand what spiritual people are like and what the markers of a spiritual person is like. Spiritual people have one undeniable characteristic. They claim Jesus as their Lord. The testimony, Jesus is Lord, is on their lips. They could never deny him. They could never curse him. They could never push him to one side. They recognise his lordship. They submit to him as Lord. That's the undeniable work of the Spirit in their lives. That is what makes a person spiritual. That and nothing else. Any computer geeks here? Brother, the term binary, what does it mean? One and zero, on or off? Yeah, absolutely, that's the way it is. Spirituality is binary. It's on or it's off. It's a one or it's a zero. The spirit is either at work in us or he's not. If he is, we're spiritual. If he's not, we're not. There is nothing in between. We either acknowledge Jesus as Lord and are spiritual men and women, or we don't. Let's now flick back to the early chapters of 1 Corinthians and let me show you that that is true. I know you've looked at these in sermons over the last couple of months, but come back with me to chapter 1, verse 18, because I think in these first few verses of chapter 12, Paul is bringing all of the stuff that he's already said to bear on their thinking about the Spirit and gifts. What did he show right back in chapter 1? What is the cross? The death of Jesus is what? Verse 18, folly to those who are perishing... They can't say Jesus is Lord. Verse 22, Jews want signs and Greeks wisdom to prove to them somehow that Jesus is Lord. But what does Paul say? We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Jesus, is Lord, will never leave their lips. They can't trust his death to pay for their sin. But verse 26 of chapter 1, we can. Chapter 1, verse 26, we can because we were called. God chose us. And verse 30, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. God, our Father, is has chosen us to get Jesus, to understand what it means to have Jesus as our Lord. And Jesus, we're told in chapter 1, verse 30, became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And those who are spiritual, what is our boast? Our boast is Jesus is Lord. He has saved us from our sin. His death means that our sin is dealt with once and for all. His death makes it possible for us to live holy lives. And we boast that Jesus is Lord because the Spirit is at work within us, revealing Jesus to us. Now, if you're away on this weekend and you're not someone who has yet been able to say Jesus is Lord, let me say you are in absolutely the right place. There is no better place for you to be this weekend surrounded by a whole stack of people who know and love Jesus as Lord. Grab one of your small group leaders, grab one of your friends and get them to explain Jesus to you this weekend. And as you do, pray with the person you're chatting to. Ask them to pray for you and ask God to give you his spirit so that you can understand Jesus because there's no other way you'll get him. Now, there's no better time to ask God to demonstrate His Spirit's power in your life than now. But come back to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. And look at the way that Paul weaves the role of the Spirit into their understanding about how they came to Christ. It says, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And when when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't win you over by fine argument. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I just plonked Jesus plain and simple in front of you. I was with you, verse 3, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but how did they come? But in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And in the context of chapters 1 and 2, all that can mean is that Paul just spoke the word of the cross. And the Spirit did the work of convincing the Corinthians that Jesus was Lord. Remember chapter 1 verse 17? Christ didn't send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with those words of elegant wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If it depended on me and my eloquence, I'd rob the cross of its power. It would not be the power of the Spirit who convinced you, who transformed your understanding and enabled you to confess that Jesus is Lord. But spiritual people, that's what's happened to you. Look at the way chapter 2 verse 11 makes it clear that our understanding of the gospel is because of the spirit at work powerfully within us. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Answer, no one. You have no idea what I'm thinking at the moment, do you? What am I thinking about at the moment? Red Ducati motorcycles. Okay, you could only know that because I told you. It's the same with God. So he says, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And speaking of himself, Paul says, Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. And look at why. So that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And how does he do that? Well, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. It says, as we teach others about Jesus, the Spirit himself teaches those who hear us, teaches the spiritual about Jesus, their Lord. And just like chapter 12, verse 2, verse 14 of chapter 2 says, the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The natural person, the person who is not Christian, looks at Jesus and goes, it just doesn't make sense. How can you possibly say he is Lord? The thought of Jesus being Lord is stupidity. But on the other hand, we're told in verses 15 and 16 that we have the mind of Christ and therefore we have the spirit of Christ. Therefore we know what is true. We know God's mind. We recognise his son because his spirit in power is at work in us. We understand the gospel because we are spiritual. We've been chosen by God to have the truth revealed to us. That's what makes us spiritual. Again, if you're yet to experience the spirit of God at work in your life, let me assure you that if you ask God for his spirit, he will give him to you and he will reveal Jesus to you. That is one of God's prayers that he guarantees 100%. Back to thinking about gifts, because that's where we're going to spend most of the weekend. Did you notice that being spiritual has nothing to do with gifts? Are you convinced that that's the case? As I said, I reckon most Christians find this really hard to get their heads around. I reckon it was hard in the first century I reckon it's hard in the 21st century. It's hard because as a community, we think and the world at large thinks that being spiritual in some way is important. And we think that if something is important, then having more of something that's important has got to be better than having less of something that's important. And being more spiritual, we think must be better than being less spiritual. And so we look for signs that somebody is growing in spirituality. But like the Corinthians, too often we link gifts and spirituality and when we do, we mess them both up. You see, we've got to keep remembering that spirituality is binary. Either we are or we aren't spiritual. Either the Holy Spirit has revealed Jesus or he hasn't. There are not different grades of spirituality. Yes, we can be more or less mature as Christians, And the Corinthians, by their lack of understanding about the spirit, displayed their spectacular immaturity in Christ. Yes, we grow in maturity. Yes, we grow in understanding. Yes, we grow in godliness. But we don't grow in spirituality. We're either spiritual people or we're not. Which means that if you are a Christian, you are 100% spiritual. You cannot get any more spiritual than you now are. Do you believe it? It's what the the Bible says. And I reckon it's cool. Okay, with that in mind, Paul now, his next point, is to expand the Corinthians' understanding of just who it is that provides the gifts to the church. And again, his aim is to reform their thinking about the Spirit's role. I want to say that in our environment in Sydney, and I'm not sure what it's like here in KL, we need to rediscover what Paul is teaching here. Because there's all sorts of wonky thinking throughout our whole community about spirituality, and it just infuses our lives everywhere. We need to take a step back from what we already think, and we need to understand what the Bible actually says and what it doesn't. Have a look at verse four and notice the surprise. He says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. It's nothing like a little bit of repetition for emphasis. Let me say that again. There's nothing like repetition, yeah, it's an old joke, but a good one. Alright, what did you notice? Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. There is real variety in what God has given to us. There isn't one gift. There's not one way of serving. There's not one activity. There's a myriad of them. There's a myriad of them, but it's the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God, the same triune God who gives them to us. And verse 4 is very clearly a Trinitarian statement. The Lord in Paul's writings is almost always Jesus. God is almost always the Father and the Spirit. Well, he's always the Spirit. So what we have here is God, Father, Son and Spirit together giving his body gifts. And in your small group, what did you discover from Romans 12? It was the Father who gave the gifts in Romans 12. And in Ephesians 4, it was Jesus who gave the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. And even here, flick down to verse 18. Our gifts are arranged as the Father chooses. Verse 28, the Father appoints apostles, prophets, teachers, etc. Verse 11, it's the Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Friends... If we rarely ever call our gifts... No, start that again. Friends, I reckon we've got to stop using the term spiritual gifts. I think we need to cross it out of our vocabulary. Because if we only ever acknowledge that our gifts, activities and opportunities come from the Spirit, I think we rob our Heavenly Father of the honour that is rightfully His. We deny the role of the Lord Jesus in giving gifts that is rightfully his. And I think we distort the spirit's role and his importance. When we use the term spiritual gifts, too often in our community the emphasis ends up being on which of the two words? Spiritual, isn't it? Rather than on the word gifts. And we tend to then import our understanding of spiritual from the community into that word, which means that we end up with this feeling that there's something mysterious about our gifts, something otherworldly, and the more otherworldly we think they are, the better they must be, and we end up in Corinth and their distorted thinking in no time. Language... And the language that we use to describe what we read in the Bible is very important. Language changes the way that we think. Feminists understand it. In Australia, we don't have policemen anymore, we don't have police women anymore, we just have police officers. We don't have actors actors or actresses, we just have actors. Why? The feminists have caused us to rethink And to change our language because we actually want to acknowledge, if you like, the shared importance that both men and women have. I think we need to change our language as a Christian community. I think we need to detach two words from each other, the words spiritual and gift. I think we need to stop using the term spiritual gifts and start talking about activities or gifts or services or opportunities from God, from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit. Because until we do, I think we will keep reinforcing a wrong thinking about gifts, about what it means to be spiritual and who has given us what we now have. The next thing that Paul moves on to is uh, point 2 the reason why we've been given gifts. Have a look at verse 7. He says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why do you have gifts? Why do I have gifts? Why does any Christian have gifts? It's not hard to see it, is it? Verse 7, it's for the common good. That is for the good of the body of Christ, for the good of the community at large, not for our good, not first and foremost for my good, not even second most for my good or probably even third most for my good, but for the common good. I'm not given gifts for my pride. God hasn't given me gifts so that I feel good about myself. He's not given me gifts for other reasons than for the sake of others. The biggest mistake I think that we make as Christians is that we forget that we've actually been given the gifts we have for others, which means that our gifts really belong to others and not to ourselves. I may have been given a gift, but I've been given it for somebody else's benefit. Think about this. I want you to do an exercise with me. Make sure you have got a pen. In your booklet, I want you just—I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to it, so you got to be quick. I want you to write down all the gifts that you think God has given you. Your time starts now. It's like an exam. Write it down. As many gifts as you can think of that God has given you. You're on the clock. No cheating person next to you hasn't got your gifts (laughs) got your list there'll probably be others you can add to it later show your list to somebody else they'd probably add some more let me get you out of your list Which which gift do you like having the most which gift do you like having the most? Okay, got that? Now answer this question. What are the gifts that you've been given tell others about you? H- have a look at that list in front of you. What does that list of gifts tell others about you? Answer Absolutely nothing. Do you believe it? What does it tell others about God that He's been incredibly generous to you for the sake of others? When I was growing up, my parents had two cars. When I was learning how to drive, they had two cars. They were both Jaguars, one for mum and one for dad. When I was learning to drive, that's what I got to drive on. It was great. When I got my peas, I've seen people have pea plates around here as well. Put peas on the front of the car, get in by yourself, automatically the window goes down, the elbow goes on the side, you steer with one hand, and you look cool. You come up to the traffic lights and you look right, you look left, you make sure you've been noticed, and then when the lights go green, you just plant it. Okay? And you think, how cool am I? At age 17, I was an idiot. (laughs) I thought, you see, that driving my parents' car made me something. I thought it said something about me, but it said absolutely nothing about me and everything about my parents, about their generosity, about their kindness their misplaced trust in me, it it told whoever looked about them and absolutely nothing about me. It is the same with our gifts. They tell us about the giver, not about the recipient. They tell us about God's kindness and his generosity, not about us. But the world has forgotten it and so often do we. The world builds self-esteem based on abilities. The world tells us how valuable we are because of what we can contribute. And our value is measured in what we can earn by how much we contribute. Too many of us feel better about ourselves or worse about ourselves because of what we can do or how much coin we can bring home. Friends, we mustn't think like that. You are valuable because Christ died for you. That is the price that he put on your head. His son's blood. You are valuable because the God of the universe loved you enough to sacrifice his son for you. Nothing could give you greater value and nothing could take that value from you. You are valuable because of who you are in Christ. You've been given gifts for the good of others. We need to stop thinking like immature children about how we can use them for ourselves and start actually using them for others. That little exercise we did earlier, how many of you I not want to ask you to put up your hands, but did some of you actually have trouble thinking of gifts that you could write down? It may have been because I put you on the spot and you weren't expecting it to come. You may have felt, look, I just don't know what my gifts are. What I want to do is help everybody this morning develop two new gifts. It's really, really simple. Firstly, can I get you all to stand? You're going to develop a gift. Okay, stand. Need you to do a first a body check. Can I just check two hands? Everyone got two hands? Or at least one? Good. Uh, Two feet? Check. Feet? Got feet? Good, good, good. Can I get you to pick up your booklet? Just pick it up. Okay, can I get you to just to drop it on the floor? And can I get you to bend down and pick it up? Okay. Sit down now. Did anybody have any trouble picking that up? Anybody have trouble? Somebody's got a bad back. Stephen, I know you did, but I saw you working really well earlier, getting somebody else to pick up the bottle for you. You've got a different gift there, brother. you guys have just demonstrated that you have the gift of picking up rubbish. (laughs) Now, don't laugh. You have an ability that you can use to serve the body of Christ. It doesn't feel like a spiritual gift, does it? But it's an ability that God has given you. It's a way of serving that God has given you for the good of others. Why don't you exercise it? Is it beneath you? I'd like to teach you another gift. How many of you have at least one eye that works in your head? Everyone, everyone's got eye, one eye that works? Some of you wear glasses. I know we're a little disabled, but we, with most time we can see things. Okay. Second thing to ask is, um, how many of you have a tongue in your head so you can talk? Keep your hands up. Some of you are mute. Come on, I want to see the hands. How many of you have a tongue in your head? Okay. How many of you can get to work on time or get your kids to school on time most days of the week, quick show of hands you have the gift of getting to church early in order to talk to newcomers so that they can feel welcome if you don't do it why not you've been given the ability to serve others, why would you ever not do it the more you do it, the better you'll get at it, the more opportunities you'll discover there are to serve. Did you notice something else? We've been given gifts for the common good by God himself, and you know what else that means? It means that we don't need Andrew's permission to start using them. Right? He might be the senior pastor, but God's God. There is a difference. <laughs> ah yeah. I know, I'm a senior pastor. I know there's a big difference. Right? Just do it. Nike, okay? Just do it. <laughs> Using your gifts is nothing like winning a reality TV show. Right? American Idol, The Voice, whatever. Right? You Don't wait to be asked. Don't wait for an opportunity to be created for you. Don't wait for someone to discover you. It's not about you. It's about building others up. Don't wait till you've perfected your gift. Just use who you are, what God has placed in your hands to serve others. Now. There's nothing in this paragraph about wait till you've perfected it. It's just you've been given it. Use it. It's not about you. It's not about how good you feel as you go about doing it. It's about will others benefit? If they benefit, do it. If they don't benefit, let me tell you, someone will stop you.
2: Right?
1: They'll put their hand on the shoulder and say, hey, I know you think you've got this gift, but let me tell you, you don't. Okay? <laughs> and let me tell you, from a pastor's perspective, it's much easier to take the keeny who's serving and redirect their energies than putting a bomb under a congregation who will not serve others. We would much prefer to have to redirect the keenness of some than try and get others who will not serve started. So just get going. Point three. So we're point two, C, three. The third thing that Paul wants to make sure that they understand is, well, look in verse eight. As I read it, don't worry about what the gifts are. I'm sure you've already had some discussions about that this morning in your small group we will come to that over the next few days. Paul isn't particularly interested here or anywhere else in defining what the gifts are. He's making another point as he lists a whole range of gifts. What's his point? Verse 8. To one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another, faith, by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing, by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. What's his point? It's really obvious, isn't it? And just in case you haven't picked it up, Verse 11, this is one more for the dummies. He says, verse 11, all these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit. That's kind of obvious when you look at it, isn't it? By the one Spirit, the same Spirit, the same one, one, same, same, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. To every single one of us, God has given gifts. They've come from the triune God. Through the work of his Holy Spirit, the Spirit is the means by which the triune God gives gifts to every single one of his people. Now, over the next three days, we're going to be thinking about the implications of this. But let's for now look at just four. Firstly, every single one of us has been given gifts. Your list earlier may be short. That's probably your perception rather than what God has actually delivered to your doorstep. There are no exceptions. You are not the exception. There isn't a footnote one except for Yoke Ling. There isn't a footnote two except for Andrew Chia or anybody else. There are no exceptions. If you don't know what you can do, if you don't understand how God's wired you are, again, grab one of your small group leaders this weekend Grab Andrew, grab somebody who knows you well and say, look, I know I'm supposed to have gifts, I'm just not sure what I can do. And get them to help you to think through how you can contribute to the lives of others. Working it out, it's not rocket surgery. Okay? It's not brain science, it's, it's pretty simple really. <laughs> yeah, okay, good, you're on the ball, you're awake. <laughs> and I want you to notice too that not everyone has been given gifts that are the same as everybody else. Did you notice, and to another, and to another, and to another, and to another, and to another. You shouldn't expect to be the same as anybody else. You're unique. I'm unique. Nobody of you have has the gift of eyebrows like I do. Trust me. <laughs> no one has them all. We shouldn't think that we're the same as anybody else. Secondly, if it's the triune God who is behind every gift and they come to us through the work of his Spirit, that means that if God the Spirit is behind every gift, that means that it's not as if some gifts are spiritual and some gifts aren't. We're spiritual because we're in Christ. The Spirit gives every gift. It's not as if some are natural, like bending down and picking up papers, whereas other gifts are spiritual, like giving Bible talks. Our ability to serve others at cost to ourselves is evidence of the Spirit's work in us. That we understand that we've been given things so that we can serve others is the mark of the Spirit's work. It's not that some gifts are spiritual and the rest are just what people are good at. The Spirit is behind the delivery of every gift to every Christian in every church. So matter what gift you have or how you serve, no matter how ordinary it feels, don't be fooled into thinking that you, a person who has the spirit of the living God at work in you, are just good at stuff and have missed out on God giving you gifts. He hasn't. Every gift and ability you have has been given through the work of the spirit. Thirdly, how do you feel about what you've been given? Do you like your gifts? Or do you feel a bit short-changed? Would you like other gifts? Well, you know what? It's God's choice who gets what. It's his choice and not ours. So suck it up, sister. You're not somebody else. You are yourself. You are exactly who God has made you to be, exactly as He's wired you up to be. Give thanks to God and repent of your lack of thanksgiving to God and your lack of appreciation for how He's wired you up to be. You can't put in an order. You can't go down to the mall and pick up another one. It's God's choice not ours. If you don't like your gifts, take it up with the triune God and have a chat with him. I reckon that'll do. Friends, we're spiritual men and women because we understand the work of Jesus in our lives. God, the triune God, has given abundantly gifts to his church so that they, we, might use them for the building up of others. He distributes those gifts through the work of the Spirit. Every single one of us has them and ought to use them for the good of others. Let me pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for bringing us from death to life through the work of your Spirit and the word of the cross of your Son. Father, we want to thank you that you have given to us gifts so that we can serve others and build the body. This weekend, Father, we pray that you would bless us abundantly in our understanding of what you have done, the richness of your gifts to us and our ability to use those gifts for the service of others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.